The scripture is on the back of the bulletin. The first one is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Ephesians 4, 1 through 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. Matthew 25, 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. God, we just come before you this morning um, asking you to be here and fill this place. Um, thank you for this beautiful Sunday and for the weather and um, just for this time that we can have to be together and be with you, God. Um, ask that you would just set our minds on you and on eternity and let all these momentary daily things fall away, God, um, as we hear your word and learn more about you. All right, good morning, everyone, and just invite you to uh, have your Bible with you or your um, church handout just to follow along. This morning, Rob Shear is going to share with us, and um, really excited about that. One of the things that's it's interesting about group dynamics in churches is that even though we are not a large church, it's easy to miss people and not get to know people and meet people. So um, if you have not yet met Rob or his wife, um, Louisa, just encourage you to um, introduce yourself and get to know them. They are just an uh, important part of our community and important friends to me. So um, it's an excellent thing to have other people besides me use their gifts. It's a really important part of being a healthy church is that everyone is active and using their gifts uh, in ways to provide encouragement to other people. So that's what Rob is going to do this morning. So I want to invite Rob Shear to come on up. Morning, church. Can, can you hear me? In back, good. All right. Uh, about a month ago, Brian asked me if I'd be willing to speak today, and I asked. I said, "Well, what topic do you want me to preach on?" You see, the last time I was here was about six months ago, uh, and I was part of a series, and so there was a, a topic that I had to speak on. And Brian said, "No topic. You can speak on whatever you want." And my first thought was, "Perfect. I get to give my shark story." You see, every surfer has, or at least they should have, a good shark story. And so today, you get to hear my shark story, and to make it even better, uh, it comes with pictures. So that to look forward to. So my wife, my, uh, my family, my wife, my son, and I, we moved to Malibu now almost six years ago. And before then, we had lived in Monterey, California for four years. And Monterey is a, is a great town. It's a great little town. It's just not a really good surfing town. 
And there are a couple of reasons for that. Uh, first, the brakes, the quality of the brakes are kind of low. Uh, the water is very cold, and the water can be very, very sharky. And I had a friend of mine at work, Bill Tarantino. Uh, I had known Bill for about 10 years, and Bill had a son named Eric. And Eric was an avid surfer up in Monterey. Des despite all the problems with surfing in Monterey, uh, Eric was always out there. And on October 29th, 2011, Eric was surfing at Marina Beach State Park when what they estimate to be about a 15-foot great white attacked him. And the great white uh, bit him on his neck and his right arm, grabbed him and dragged him under the water. And Eric said he never, he didn't hear the shark, he didn't see the shark, all he remembers seeing is just gray. But he immediately, he knew what it was, he knew it was a shark. And so when he found himself under the water, he did the only thing he could think of, and that is he started to kick the shark, and the shark let go, and the shark swam away. And afterwards, Eric said, kicking the shark felt a lot like kicking a cement wall. So let me, let me pull up the photos, so I've promised them. So here's the first photo. So clearly this is after the attack. So this is Eric's board, and you can kind of see in the upper left-hand corner uh, where the shark got the board as it was also getting Eric. Uh, this board is now up on Eric's wall. It's kind of a cool memento. Uh, next picture. Uh, this is when they were trying to measure and get a good guess at how big the shark was. So they're trying to measure how big the bite was on the board. Uh, and then third photo. And this is Eric sometimes later. See what happened on his neck. So let's go back. Let's just hold it on. We'll hold on three. That's a good image to hold on. Now, luckily for Eric, he had two things going for him that, that day. And the first one was he was out surfing with a good friend of his. So that's photo four. So this is Brandon McKibben, and Brandon helped Eric get to the shore after, after the attack was over. Right? The, a small wave came in afterwards, um, and the two of them rode that into the beach. The second thing he had going for him, let's go to the next picture, are these two guys. So these, this is on the left, uh, Eric Garrick Banfield, and on the right is Jonathan Bleakley. Uh, they're two soldiers, and at the time of the attack, they had just returned from Afghanistan from a deployment. But more importantly for Eric, before they went on their deployment, they had undergone trauma training. In other words, what the, what the Army calls combat lifesaver training. And so when Eric was attacked, when they got him down to the beach, these two were able to start uh, to stabilize and to treat him. Sometime afterwards, Medics came, they got an ambulance, they took Eric to the local uh, airport where there was a helicopter waiting to medevac him to a hospital in San Jose. But while he was on the beach, Garrick here on the left uh, was working on his neck. He actually had his hand inside the wound to uh, slow down the bleeding. And Jonathan here on the right was working on the cuts, uh, two of the major cuts on his forearm. He had a four, I think Bill had a four-inch cut under his arm, under his forearm, and he had a six-inch cut uh, that was fairly deep on the top. So the two of them stabilized him. Now, here's the good news. Eric recovered with only minor nerve damage. Now remember, this happened on October 29th, and by Christmas of the same year, Eric was back out in the water. 
All right, so let's flip over. So there's Eric. Okay. But the news gets even better for Eric. So the guy that shaped this board for him, shaped him a new one, same color, same design, same style, and gave it to Eric for free. And, if that's not enough, conducted a fundraiser in Monterey where they raised enough money to buy Eric a brand new wetsuit. So, <laughs> so we'll, just, we'll just hold it here then. So Eric's okay. So, so what saved Eric Tarantino? Well, I would argue it was his community. It was the surfing community. It was these guys that were out in the water with him. See, I'm fairly certain that if Eric had been out there alone, and if there had been no one on the beach when the shark attack had happened, there's a very good chance that Eric would have bled out either in the ocean or on the beach, and he wouldn't be alive today. You see, community is important when there are sharks in the water. But let me argue that community is even more important here in the church because what is at stake is eternity. And so now that I've gotten my shark, my shark story out of the way, I'm feeling a little bit more warmed up, um, let me tell you what I really want to talk about today, which is community. And let me start by saying I think we have a great community here. I really do. And as someone who's new, uh, I've been here less than a year, as someone who was welcomed by this church uh, last spring, I feel like I've, I've got some insight into how well we are or how well we welcome uh, new folks. So I know this from personal experience. Now, when I was a kid growing up, my dad was in the Army. So what that meant was about every two years when the Army moved my father, family went along with them, and we had to find a new church. Now, when I grew up as an adult, I lacked the imagination to think of any other career, so I also joined the Army. And then every two years when the Army moved me, my family and I had to find a new church. So I'm 50 now. So I've done that a lot. Uh, I've walked into many new churches, and most of the time, sadly, that's not a pleasant experience. I don't have a lot of happy memories about always having to go find a new church. But the gathering, the gathering is the first church where two days after I first visited, somebody invited me out to coffee. And the gathering is the first church where the weekend, the first weekend that my wife and I were able to come together, somebody took us out for brunch that afternoon. And I won't embarrass these two and share their names with you, but one of them, when I asked afterwards, I said, well, why'd you take us out? Why'd you pay for our brunch here in, in Malibu? They said they just viewed that as part of their ministry here. And based on my experience, if that's how you're received, how can you help but not come back the next Sunday? So I decided, one, I'm going to stick around. I like this place. I kind of think it's cool we got a dirt floor. Um, but I decided I was going to return the favor. And I was going to make sure that I met somebody new every week that I was here at church. And we have this great tradition at the gathering. And if you're new, you just saw it for the first time, right? We stop at the, at the end of worship. We've got this 5, 10, 15-minute period where we talk to each other. Now, I've been to a lot of churches, and a lot of churches do something similar, but it usually looks like this. 
We all stand up, you all turn around, you all say hi, then you all sit down. It takes about 30 seconds. At least that's what it was like in the church I grew up in. That's not how we do it here. Right? Now normally, normally we've got Joel who has to try to, it's his job to get us to all sit down again. And that's not a good job. <laughs> right? And Joel, Joel is a former D1 athlete. I really wish he was here today so I could get, we could get his, his specs here. I'm guessing Joel is 6'4 or taller, 200 plus pounds. Well, he's 6'5, 6'6. Six, six. I'm sorry, I can't. I'm a, I teach math. Yes, 6'6. Six, six. <laughs> any, any guess, Gary, on, on what he weighs? 222? He's a big guy, right? So we've got this. We probably have grabbed the biggest guy we have. We put him up here, and his job is to get us to stop talking. And we don't. We've got little old ladies just blowing them off. You know, what's he going to do, stop us? And so every week, I'd come in this, in this lengthy period of time. I made sure that I got to meet somebody new. And after several months, after the summer, I got into the fall. I reached the point where I knew a lot of people here. And it was starting to feel like family, and it was starting to feel like home. And then one Sunday came. It's time to get up, time to go meet somebody new. And I kind of looked around, and I was surrounded by people I knew. I was surrounded by my new friends. And so I did the, the lazy thing. I did the comfortable thing. I did the easy thing. And I just talked to people I knew. And so that week, I didn't meet anyone new. And when I was driving home, it, it dawned on me that I had made the decision not to share the gift that had been given to me when I was new. And I think that's a temptation we have to avoid here. And so let me share three suggestions. Let me share three scripture-based recommendations on how we can maintain this community that we have here at the gathering. All right, can we go to Hebrews 10, 24, 25? All right, good, thank you. First, we need to encourage one another. And by that, I mean more than just patting each other on the back. We need to push each other. We need to push each other to make sure that we're growing in our faith. You know, Paul addresses, addressed this in his letter to the Hebrews. And he said, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So if you go back to the first part. So Paul uses the Greek word paroxysmon here, which the ESV translates as stir up. But it's actually a bit more forceful than that. Others translate this Greek word as provoke or incite. See, we need to incite one another to love and good deeds. And I like that imagery. I like it a lot, right? It's got force. And let me just, as a quick aside, and, and I'll come back. Um, if you ever reach the point in your life where you want God to take a flashlight and shine it in the dark corners of your life that you don't, that you're embarrassed of, uh, if you want God to point out the parts of your life where you're falling short, here's what you do. You tell Brian you'd like to come preach on a Sunday. 
See, I went back and checked. I've had this passage. I've had Hebrews 10, 24, 25. I memorized that over 30 years ago. And it wasn't until I was preparing for this talk today that it hit me, I don't really do this well. I don't incite others to love and good deeds. At least, I certainly don't do it that often. And I certainly don't do it with any force. And I thought about that, and I said, well, why, why, why don't I do that? And I think the reason is, and I, my guess is I'm not alone here, I spend too much time focused on my own spiritual growth, worrying about what are my struggles. And, and I'm not saying that's not important, but I think that can't be it. I think we need to do both. We need to be working on our own personal relationship with Christ, but we also, we also need to be encouraging, inciting we need to be spurring others around us. In the army, when a, when a unit stops and forms a defensive position, soldiers pair off and they dig foxholes. And as you dig your foxhole, the dirt that you're digging up, you put outside the foxhole in the direction where you think the enemy might come. And the dirt serves two purposes. And the first one is, if you get shot at later, hopefully the dirt will stop the bullets. But it also forces the two soldiers in the foxhole to orient their, their weapons to the left and the right. And what that does is, if the unit is attacked, if you're in your foxhole, you're not fighting the guys that are coming at you. You're defending the, unit, uh, the, the foxhole to your left and the foxhole to your right. In other words, for the defense to work, Every foxhole is relying on the foxhole to the left and to the right. And so if you're to survive, you've got to trust the soldiers in the other foxholes. You know, the fact is we're no different in the church. We have to rely on one another if we're going to survive. And we need each other to be strong in our face. And so we need to incite one another. Second suggestion. Be eager for community. Recognize what we've got here. Be eager for it. So I was speaking at Pepperdine Surf Ministry uh, this last Wednesday at Zuma Beach, and I shared a passage on Ephesians that I, that I think is quite pertinent today. Can we go to the Ephesians passage? There we go. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord... I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And here's the key for today. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to be eager about holding on to their community. The fact is, we sadly live in a very divided country, probably more divided than, than any time I can recall in my time here on the planet. So we're divided left and right, Democrat, Republican, blue, red, longboard, shortboard. <laughs> a little different, but the last one is the most troubling. And sadly, this divide has worked its way into the, the larger church as well. And yet, that's not an option here. Paul didn't give us that option. Christ doesn't give us that option. Paul encourages us to stick together. 
we shouldn't be looking for reasons to split or divide. Rather, we should be looking for reasons to hold on to our community. Now listen, there are many important theological questions that every church has to answer, has to grapple with. But I'm not a theologian. So I certainly am not going to offer my opinion on any of the harder ones. But as we struggle with some of these questions, as we struggle with what does it mean for us to believe as a community, let me suggest that we always hold on to our community as we're having those discussions. Um, I may have talked about this last time I was up here, but it's, I like the story, so it's worth sharing again. John Stott was an Anglican pastor and, and one of the authors, uh, one of my favorite authors. And he had an interesting perspective on how you deal with conflict and strife inside the church. And Stott's argument that what you do going into one of these, call it a debate, an argument, is you hold on to the truth with one hand, and you hold on to peace or community with the other, and you never let go of either. And Stott made the argument that if you hold on to the truth with two hands, if that is the most important thing, then you're putting yourself at risk at saying or doing something that's going to hurt somebody, that's going to damage peace, that's going to damage your community. But it's also a mistake to go the other way and hold on to peace or hold on to community with both hands and let the truth be out there, drift away. Because what you're doing is you're putting yourself at risk in that situation and drifting away from the will of God. We've got an incredible community here. Be eager. Be eager to keep it. Third and final suggestion, reach out to new people. Don't do what I did that Sunday. Right? I understand. It's easy to fall into that comfortable place. You look around and there are people that you know. That's not where we're called. In fact, Christ set the bar very, very high when it comes to welcoming others. So here's the passage from Matthew 25. So this is Christ speaking, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you? or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to one of the least of my brothers, you did to me. See, this passage speaks specifically to those who might initially be hard, to those who might initially would be hard to welcome. The poor, the sick, anyone who we consider different than us. But the fact is our kindness is not only a reflection on Christianity as a whole, it reflects who we think Christ really is. So let me close with just one, and I'll admit it's biased, suggestion on welcoming others. So I teach at Pepperdine, and I'm fortunate enough that I actually live on the campus. And so I can feel at times a bit paternalistic towards our students. And every year we get a new batch. Sadly, every year a group graduates, but we always get a new batch in the fall. And these are students that have left their churches. 
right? They've left home, they've come here, and these are the churches where they grew up, where they're comfortable, where they know everybody, and now they're new. And they're looking for community. And they're only here for a few years. So don't be that local that insists that they have to be far on the outside of the lineup and slowly over time will let them work their way in. Instead, wrap your arms around them the first time you see them. Treat them the way that you would want your kid treated when they go off to college, when they're at a new church, when they're looking for a community. Because you see, there are moms and dads out there that are hoping that that is exactly what we do. They are praying that we are a community with open arms that will welcome in their kids. We've got a great community here at the gathering. Let me encourage you to recognize that. Let me encourage you to hold on to it. And although he's not here and I haven't asked him, I'm fairly confident that, that Joel will understand. All right. Thanks. Enjoy your Sunday.